Good morning, Radiant Life. Thank you for being with us today, for worshiping with us. Those that are online, I know there's some people traveling actually in their car watching service right now, and I'm just so glad that we get to join together and worship Jesus. Now, I would a quick question. How many were in a place where you could watch the rain if you had rain like our house the other night? I don't know if that was Friday, Thursday, uh, Wednesday, whatever night, right? I, I see some hands. I don't know that I've seen rain like that in a long, long, long time. In fact, at our house, we kind of have, you could say we become a pond in the backyard if it really, really rains. We have our neighbor's house that slopes down, or other neighbor. It just all comes to our yard and makes this stream. And so when we were kids, we used to play in the rain, and then we'd play in these things. In fact, I know mom wouldn't want me to tell people because you might think less of her, but it would be lightning and thundering, and we're in the backyard swimming in the water that is created by the storm that the lightning is— okay, that's just who we were, maybe who we are a little bit still. But it was a lot of fun. Now, when I think of weather, and I think of maybe our faith journey, um, I, I find it kind of interesting that there are various times in your life when maybe rain or weather becomes a big deal. Um, I'm trying to think here. One time when I was a kid, I remember being out in our front yard, and you could literally see a wall of rain. I think it was the only time in my life I saw it like this. A wall of rain that was coming directly, and you could tell when it was going to start to rain because you could literally see it. So we were there, and we started to run <clears throat> to our front porch, and we made it just to our front porch before a downpour just like the other night. Uh, another time when I think of rain and weather, Rachel and I, we got to go to a NASCAR race, and we were driving, and we were in our Jeep. We had all the top off, headed to Tennessee. And so it was supposed to be perfect weekend, perfect weather. I think it was a Wednesday night race uh, last year. It was, it was so much fun. And then all of a sudden there was rain, which if you've ever by chance been in a Jeep when it rains, if you go the exact right speed and there's no wind, then the rain actually will not get you if you're sitting in the front seats. It's pretty cool. If there happens to be wind, or if there's a big semi right in front of you, or anything else that throws off the uh, variables there, all of a sudden you just get poured on. And even more crazy is that the water might or might not hit you as much, but will go directly over the windshield and fill the inside of the windshield with water. I mean, just rain. So then your windshield wipers are going, except they're on the wrong side because we need them inside the car, not outside the car. So that was an exciting time. Uh, other times when you were doing work on your house, right, if you've ever been doing work on your house and all of a sudden you just tore off the roof or you've just opened up a wall and then it begins to rain. Or like Rachel and I, maybe 12 years ago, we decided we really needed new windows. Now, how did I know we needed new windows? Because they, our windows were wood. They had been in the house for uh, 25 years or so and they were literally rotting away. Like you could just touch it and it would just fall apart. Or maybe even you could see through them, like the wood part, not the glass part, but the wood part. You know it's probably time that I need to get some new windows. So at the time, we were poor. That's probably strong. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> but we needed, we just needed them. We didn't have a lot of money. So what did we do? We said, we're going to buy the cheapest windows we can possibly find. And we were successful. We put all new windows in our whole entire house for $2,700 which was super great. 
Except after about three weeks, you realize you know why you get a super cheap window. And then your windows are worse and worse. And then there's stuff inside of them like water and, you know, all that sort of thing. In our back room, it was like, I don't know, moldy inside, I think. I think that's what we'll go with. You're like, okay, so we just recently, actually this week, replaced our windows, which we had them for 12 years. They were probably good for about five-ish, but we had them for 12 years with an actual window that it doesn't only go up about a third of the way, but it goes up all the way. Like, so you can actually open it halfway instead of only about a third. The airflow is absolutely wonderful. They look so nice. You can tell. In fact, when they were taking out the old windows, we didn't replace siding, all that stuff. And the guys who put them in did, I guess, the best they could. But there was water that then was getting inside of the wall, right? Anybody? Thankfully, it wasn't too bad, but now we had some wall that needed a little, some two-by-fours, let's say, and we need to do that. But now we put new siding on the front. We've got new windows that are fully, like, tight, I guess. There's not going to be water inside. The windows themselves work. You can actually clean them because they open up. They're just superior to the junk that we had in there before. Not going to joke about it. It is absolutely wonderful. <clears throat> now, when we look at the Word of God in our faith journey— I think there's moments in our life when we feel like we're driving down the highway in a Jeep and it starts to pour and there's vehicles all around. My wife was scared to death, I think, because we were in the middle of the mountains, but you couldn't go slower because if you went slower, it even got worse. The, the rain smashing you and we couldn't stop because then the water just would have poured directly in. So we had to keep going. Right? Anybody, maybe you feel like you are on that Jeep ride and you're like, come on, we got to go because if not the rain and then all of a sudden you're soaking wet anyways and it is what it is. Or maybe you feel like you're standing in a field and all of a sudden you can see the rain. You can see what's coming your way. But maybe you don't have a porch to go to. Maybe you're like, I'm not sure what to do. I'm not sure what the answer is. Or maybe there's just elements of your life that you feel like our windows, our windowsills, that it just wasn't quite right. It's not quite where it should be. There's some tweaks that need to be had, or maybe a complete overhaul, and you just need new windows. You need that new thing to protect from what life would throw at you. Right, we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 9 this morning. And I think that Hebrews is just an amazing book uh, as we have been going through it. If you haven't read it yet, get your Bible, get on the Bible app, read or listen to Hebrews. Just an amazingly rich book. In fact, I would suggest read it maybe three or four or five times. Like just let it be something that saturates you. But here we are in a, a moment, and it's even titled as, as we start the, the chapter 9 of Hebrews, the earthly holy place. Now, when we think of earth, probably just like everything I just mentioned, whether it's a vehicle or windows or anything that we're doing, earthly things have issues and problems. So thankfully, God was good that when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, right, they messed it up for everybody. They ruined it for themselves. No one else understood how much they ruined it besides them because they were with God in the garden. Just an amazing situation. But they are there, and they're, they're in this place, and all of a sudden God comes, and he brings the law, the Old Testament. If you read through, which we should be uh, studiers of the Word of God, we learn about the law. We learn about bulls and goats, and we learn about birds and all these different things, and how to sacrifice them, and what this looks like, and the process of it. It all gets to a place where finally you realize that we are on the earth, 
These are earthly things, and earthly things do not accomplish what we want to accomplish. In fact, I just mentioned our superior windows that are so good. Well, guess what? In 15 or 20 years or whatever the time frame is, they're earthly, right? They're, they are things. Just like us, there's, there's mistakes and there's problems. And even when it came to the law, God was setting up something that we begin and that we've seen here in the book of Hebrews. What Jesus did. Hebrews 9, 9 actually, it begins and says, According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. When you look at all of the Old Testament, the big portion of the word, it all is things that is not going to get everybody where we want to go. Which I can say... Thankfully, there's not altars out front. There's altars at the front of a sanctuary, but not outside that we burn things up. Because that doesn't sound like a fun deal to me. But in their day, God made a way for them to come and to, have, uh, to be redeemed, to have their sins washed away. God made a way. But Jesus, he did something entirely different. He brought not a over and over and over and over again situation, but a once and for all redemption of sins. A once and for all. He healed and restored and made things new in the spirit. He did things in your life that if we say yes to him, become real and become active. And as we look through the rest of Hebrews chapter 9 this morning, I believe that we see clearly that we have a superior Savior. And not only that, but forever. That is to me the, the whole thing of Hebrews is we have a superior Savior that takes it all through time. He is our Lord. He is our high priest. He is our Savior. He's our intercessor sitting now at the right hand of the Father. He is with us. So we're going to look through today. Hebrews chapter 9, 11 uh, through 28. And just kind of jump in and see what God might teach us today. Starting in Hebrews 9, 11. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Then verse 15, therefore, if he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. We see that we have a superior, uh, a couple of things. We've got a superior savior, but we have a superior sanctuary that God himself, that Jesus came to this earth, that he died on a cross for us. And that now it's not earthly things in earthly ways with earthly hands, but there is a, a heavenly sanctuary that we are not looking anymore and saying, are the things we are doing good enough? Because I want to tell you something, church. The answer is pretty clear on that front. 
No, the things we are doing are not good enough. They are earthly. Even if we try to help every person we can, even if we feed every person on the face of the planet, even if we do all the things that we could do, we miss and we fall short of what God has because it's still earthly and it's still only an earthly thing. But Jesus has come, not made with earthly hands. The the temple, that perfection, not what is here. But because of what he has done, redemption can be poured out upon us. There is a superior way as there's a superior sanctuary as Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father. As he is in the throne room of glory. Which is why when we worship him, when we come and we sing songs and we do this portion of worship. Why it is so special? Because we should expect that Jesus himself is going to be moving. And we get a visit and we get experience through the spirit, the throne room of God. I encourage you, don't come to church and just say, oh, I hope church is fun. I hope I get to talk to this person. Or do Those things are fun. That's great. But Lord Jesus, help me to visit with you. Help me to enter in what, what we're going to learn about. What, what God has to your, your most holy place. Help me to experience you, the sanctuary that's not Radiant Life Church's sanctuary at 7100 Post Road. But that's his sanctuary. The throne room of God. Superior sanctuary and a superior sacrifice this new covenant jesus he's not only the high priest but he went all the way for you and for me he gave him life the the sacrifice that needed to be given so that you and i could know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he has you he loves you and you can walk in him and everything that he wants you to be in The shedding of the blood through the Old Testament was a big part. When you think back to the Passover, the children of Israel are in Egypt. And a spotless lamb was sacrificed so that the wrath of God would not happen to the people of of Israel. You think of of the the blessing, the saving that happened. The firstborns of, of the Jews were not killed. The, the, the rest of, of the, the Old Testament was built upon sacrifices. It was built upon these things. There were sacrifices, and specifically one, the Day of Atonement. When you look in just a little bit of a study, you see that there's three different sacrifices that take place. A bull and two goats. The priest would offer the bull for him and for his family. He would have to take care of himself because what? A high priest that wasn't pure and holy had to purify himself before they could do anything. This was a yearly thing that would take place. Purification for the high priest. And then one goat was presented alive as the scapegoat. Now this goat was the lucky goat. This goat of all the goats had it made because they were not slaughtered and burnt to death after being killed, but they were let go. They literally were let go to run off, to take the sin of Israel, to be a representation of taking that sin away. It was the scapegoat. It was sent out into the wild. And one goat was slaughtered for the sin as that offering. Jesus, when he came, when he became the superior sacrifice... He didn't only cover something. He didn't only basically symbolically say, run away from me, sin. But he brought new and wholeness. He brought a a, a cleansing, not only to what looks like on the outside a covering, but to our conscience, to who we are. Throughout the word of God, we see that our conscience is an important element. 
It's important uh, that animals, as we read in, in verse 9 and 10, it cannot do anything in that way. But in our life, Jesus wants to make whole and bring us wholeness to every part of us. 1 Timothy 4, 2 talks about our conscience being able to be seared. It, that we can, we can kind of mess it up. We can, we can ruin it. In Titus 1, 15, we can be defiled. In Hebrews 10, 22, it can even be evil. That we can mess up what God has given to us. Even a good thing like a conscience. In this room today, maybe this week, I'm not going to have you raise your hand, but maybe this week you, there was someone in the room or a bunch that had a choice to make and your conscience spoke to you. That God spoke to you and said, hey, not the thing to do. That's not the way to go. That's not the, the right words to say. Or maybe you got in the middle of a conversation and all of a sudden you realized, this is not beneficial to anybody. This is not encouraging. This is not helpful. This is not, your conscience works. But in our life, we can so easily let it be seared or defiled or even become evil. But the sacrifice of Jesus is sufficient to even restore our conscience, to, to make what was damaged to bring wholeness to it, to bring grace and freedom to us. He is simply superior as he sits in heaven, a sanctuary that is far superior as himself, the sacrifice that is far superior. God is so good. He loves us. He's given it all for us. Charles Spurgeon said to serve the living God. And dear friends, do keep in mind that you are to serve the living God. In Greek, you will find that the kind of service here mentioned is not that which the slave or servant renders to his master, but a worshipful service, such as priests render unto God. We that have been purged by Christ are to render to God the worship of royal priesthood. It is ours to present prayers, thanksgivings, and sacrifices. It is ours to offer the incense of intercession. It is ours to light the lamp of testimony and furnish the table of shewbread. Spurgeon would say it is ours to receive who God is and not to be a servant, not to just do things. I mean, that's what it is, but to be everything for him, to let the goodness of God pour in us to be a royal priesthood. He welcomes us into the family. And as he's been our sacrifice, it's not only you do, you do, you do, right? This morning, we're talking to Troy sitting right up here. He was here at least by nine o'clock. He was at the front door. Many of you this morning, you got to say hi to Troy as you came in. He was ready to go well before any of you, unless you were on a team, showed up to church, right? And he is the most friendly guy. If you've not talked to him, you should. It is a good thing. And why? I don't think it's because he's like, I have to do this or else I'm going to feel bad because my conscience is speaking negatively to me. But he gets to say, we're part of a royal priesthood. And when we come to church and serve in kids ministry or serve on a stage or serve at the front door, wherever it is, I get to worship God. And we as a family get to proclaim the goodness of God, that we as a family get to do what God has. And all of a sudden, because of what Jesus has done, the sacrifice that he has given for me, we get to serve him and be a part of a family and love each other. That's what the service is out of. Not of I have to serve or else my father in heaven, he's going to be really upset with me. In fact, if we think that, get rid of that and instead say, Lord, I want to serve you and honor you because I love you. Because you've made me a part of the royal priesthood. Because you brought me into your family. There's a superior way to walk 
with Jesus and to know the fact in verse 15 that he is the mediator of the new covenant. We're called to receive this promise because his work on the cross was final. He did it. It's for you. It is absolutely superior in your life. And I'm so thankful that when we look back in the Old Testament, when we look at what happened, we look at all the people and all the sacrifices. It's as if on that day, Jesus died, he rose again, and he cashed in all of these IOUs of burning bulls and goats and all these different things, the scapegoats, and said, you are, be, you are redeemed because of Jesus, not because of that sacrifice, but because of Jesus and the sacrifice of who he is. He's superior, and he is our superior Savior. As we go on in verse 16, it says, for, for where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Now, real fast, I think this is super important. Your will for when you die doesn't do a lot of good until you're dead, right? So most people don't even want to make a will because, or they have this feeling of, well, if I, if I plan, then I'm kind of putting myself in a place. Well, let me encourage you. Get ready so that when your kids ha get to deal with or get the blessing of, whatever it is, you know, you're, you're, when you die, that it is ready. But guess what? It is saying right here that it doesn't matter the will until there is death. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and, and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, this is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And it all boils down. All of that that I just read in that last verse, we have a superior Savior. Jesus, He shed His blood for you and for me. He died to Himself so that you and I could receive eternal life. And He did not die as you or me, as a sinful person, but He remained faithful to what God had called Him to do. He did not sin, so He was the pure, spotless Lamb that poured out Himself, His blood for the sins of many. Today, church, there's nothing that is more that you could be more grateful for than to know that God in heaven came to this earth, Jesus, to die for your sin and for my sin. And he didn't stop short. He didn't stop short in the garden when he asked, Lord, take this cup from me. He didn't stop short and say, I'm going to do my will, not your will. Instead, he said, even in the middle of the struggle, Lord, not my will, but yours will I do. That's what it all comes down to, our pure, spotless lamb who now is at the throne of heaven, who gave his own life, who gave that blood that was required, that was set up all through the word of God leading to Jesus. He brought it home because he was willing to give every part of himself so that you and I can experience eternal life. Church, from the youngest person in this room to the oldest person in this room, we can be so thankful that it's not about you. 
It's not about me. It's not about what we've done. All we have to do is say yes to Jesus and let him speak to us and let him guide us and let him transform us. And I don't want to be who I was last week, last month, or last year. But I also don't have to worry because I have in, in the hands of a Savior that died for me. And my, his grace is sufficient for me, which means today all I'm going to do is say yes to him repeatedly. Hopefully every time there's a question, there's every time there's a decision, I want to say yes to my God to my king, to my savior. He's superior. He's our savior. He is everything. Jesus became the superior savior as he climbed up onto the altar as the once and for all sacrifice. He's everything. Church, today you might be here and you might feel like you need to climb up onto an altar, almost like you're punished yourself for what you've done. I want you to know that the king of kings came to this earth and he did it for you. He climbed up onto a tree, was put there, but he let it happen. Live the pure life. And he is the superior savior, which means now, church, you don't have to fear. You don't have to worry, but you just get to say yes to him. You get to say yes to who he is. You get to say yes to the redemption that he paid for, that he bought with his shed blood on the cross. As we look towards the end, the last few verses, he's our superior savior. And it's not once a year he has to do this, but it's forever. Verse 23 of Hebrews 9. Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood, not his own. For then he would have to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all and the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly awaiting him. Church, verses like that get me fired up. He did it. He did it for us. He loves you. He took care of the sin of your life, even the death that's going to happen to all of us. Unless that rapture comes first, right? He took care of the sin so that we can walk in him, so we can experience him. And that last couple verses, he's coming back, church. There's going to be a second coming of Jesus. He's going to come, and not to get rid of sin, but to welcome his family home to those that are eagerly awaiting him. Right now, I believe that the church has lost just a little bit. We've lost a little bit of the excitement of saying, Lord Jesus, I know you're coming back. And I'm not talking about writing a book that's 88 reasons why something's going to happen in 88. That guy obviously missed it. Or whatever other books it might be. But I'm saying, church, every morning we should get up and be at least a tad like Oh, he didn't come back last night. Oh, no, he didn't come back. And you know what that should do? Fuel us to eagerly await the return of our king, which means fuel us to go and share Jesus, to go tell one more person over and over and over again. 
And I believe if we could be more concerned with the coming back of Jesus and getting the world ready for it, that we would deal with a lot of our issues and a lot of our problems. Because if I get a little wet driving my Jeep, or if my windows aren't what I want, or maybe I have the new ones, and that's pretty exciting too. Wherever I am, who cares about the windows? Who cares about the weather? Who cares about when things are easy or not easy? My question is, Am I eagerly awaiting the king of kings and doing everything I can to see one more person come? One more person be there. That someday I have a whole room full of people. Maybe even a a stadium full of people as it goes down and they win people and they win people and they win people. Who say, I'm here because you were faithful. I'm here because you were eagerly awaiting the presence of God and him returning. I want to be ready. And church, I encourage you to let some excitement happen in your life where you say, God is so good and I'm not going to miss it. There's no way I'm going to miss what God's doing right here, right in this moment, because I'm waiting on the king to come back. And if I'm ready, that means I'm ready. I'm sharing. I'm telling. I'm in the word. I'm letting the truth of the word become real and active in my life. In fact, when I was in college, I always said, I'm ready right now, any day. Any day, Lord, you come back. And some of my friends are like, well, I'd really like to get married, or I'd really like to get in ministry, or I'd really like... Let me just encourage you, church. I'm going to work hard like he's not coming back today, because, I mean, we're going to work hard, right? And I'm going to believe he's coming back today. I hope I don't see any of you next week on this earth, but I see you all in heaven next week. Like, let's believe, Lord Jesus, you are coming back, and I am excited for it. And I'm going to work hard. We're going to work hard to see him move on this earth so we can win one more person for Jesus. As we close this morning, it's vital to realize Christ provided our redemption. He set us up. He's in this moment. So all we have to do is say yes. But there's times when maybe we know Christ, we know the situation but still believe that that the hard work you have to do is what you've got to do just to make it. You've got to to do enough, the works that you accomplish, so God will be happy with you. And today I believe that we need to go believing and knowing that, uh uh-uh, I don't need to do works for the sake of works. I'm going to do stuff because God's called me to it. I'm going to do stuff because I want my world to know him. I'm going to do stuff because I want him to be happy, but not so that I feel good, not so that I'm not upset or God's not upset with me. I'm just going to walk in the grace of my King and my Savior. We have to understand that Jesus's blood alone is what forgiveness of sins is poured from. The power of death sting Sin's power, it all goes away at the foot of the cross. And today, God wants to pour that out upon you. And last, if you are here and you walk in guilt because of something that happened in your past, today the Lord wants to to remove guilt from you. He wants to pull those things back. Once again, at the foot of the cross, guilt is removed And you can know that he loves you. He's got you. And you don't have to worry about what you're not doing right. You can worry about just saying yes to him. And as you say yes to him, you're going to be closer and closer and closer and closer to who he has created you to be. And not because you feel guilty and you feel like you're the worst or you feel like whatever, but because you've said yes to him. You've spoken truth today. You've loved someone. You've cared for someone. And he's bringing all the other things in line. The word, church word, he's sanctifying you. 
He's, he's bringing you more in line with who he is every single day. And we're going to be sanctified every single day until we go meet him one day when it's going to be final. And praise God for that moment. But today his grace is sufficient for you. As we close, if everyone in the room, if you would mind just bowing your head, closing your eyes, letting this be a place of prayer. It's a, a place even within your own self of worship. And those three things that I mentioned this morning, if you've never given your life to Jesus and you need forgiveness of sin, if you want him to pour his love into you, then I'm going to ask you to do something bold. I'm going to ask you just to raise your hand, nothing too crazy. But if, if in this room you say, I've never given my life to Jesus, and I want this once and for all sacrifice, this superior Savior forever to wash over me, to make me whole, to take away those things. When Right now, would you just raise your hand? Is there anybody in the room, maybe you're online, that you say, that's me. All over this room, if that's you, I want to be sure you have that opportunity to say yes to Jesus. Yes, anybody in the room? Awesome. Secondly, today, if you say, man, I'm in this place and I've been trying to accomplish the work that Christ did through my works. You have guilt in your life. You have things that you, you just aren't sure and, and uh, you're not sure about. And you say, the, the guilt on me or the, the trying to strive. That's what I, my life is all about. And you say, I want God to take that away from me, the striving away from me, the guilt away from me. You're walking with Jesus, but you want those things to be removed from you. I'm going to ask you to do that same bold step and say, that's to me today. There's some guilt. There's some I'm just trying to strive to do rather than just to rest in Jesus, to rest in who he is. If that's you, would you just raise your hand, put it up real high. You could slip it back down as everybody's heads are bows and eyes are closed. Yep. Yep. I see that hand. Are there more in the room? You'd say, that's me. Yep. And for all of us today. My prayer is, Lord, I pray you would keep our conscience clear. You would let it be super, super refined. That, Lord, when I start to do something that I shouldn't, that I turn and I remove it and I go to you. So as a church this morning, could we just all pray together? If you're a follower of Jesus or you want to become one, could you just repeat after me? Dear Jesus, we love you. And this morning, we make you the Lord of our lives, every part. We repent of our sin and turn to you. Thank you, Jesus, that you're all we need, that you died, you shed your blood so we could be forgiven, so we could be whole. Help us to not strive to do to become so you're not mad at us, but help us to serve you, to love you, to go after you with everything we are, and to serve you from a place of worship, from a place of glorifying you and pouring your love out upon this earth. Help me. To have a clear conscience, one that keeps me where you would have me to be. We thank you, we praise you, and we worship you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.